Welcome to A Quiet Life. I'm Ruth, your host, and I'm really happy to be here with you. Thank you for pressing play. It's great. I am recording this introduction on Monday the 25th of September, and this is episode 140, which is pretty amazing. 10 more and we reach the 150, which makes you feel really special and everything. If you've been listening at all, you know that I record this every fortnight, and I usually try to record this introduction and the bit that comes after the interview with Scotty, like the week after I talked to Scotty. But once again, for at least the second time in a row, if not the third, I'm recording it on the Monday before it goes out. Um, And I don't like doing that. But that's why I give myself margin, which we will be talking about a bit today in between things, because you don't know what a week will bring. And I thought last week was going to be a great week with not much on because my sister has gone home and we're going to talk about my sister in a minute. My daughter has not yet arrived for her visit. And, you know, so there was this nice space in between visits where I could catch up on all my work and do all the things. But that is not how it's worked because life is not like that. And what actually happened is um, that my husband's father, his biological father, passed away and we had his funeral last week, as well as a bit of a bout with um, with illness, flu or COVID or something. I, di- I didn't test positive for COVID, but, you know, that doesn't always mean anything. And so I have been pretty much lacking in energy and lacking in voice and lacking in breath (laughs) and uh, I'm feeling better today but you can probably still hear it in my voice that it's not quite there yet Um, and I don't know whether I just did too much I had a lot of editing work and things to do and it's just taken me that long to recover I don't know but anyway that's that's all all the things that had happened so let me explain Um, Moz has two dads like many many people Um, John, his biological dad, left the family when Moz was two years old um, and then went on and had other family. And Nigel came into the family when Moz was, I think, eight and has been an absolute stalwart and rock and uh, amazing person who had taken on two boys and um, helped Annette to bring them up uh, in the fear of the Lord and in uh, a good place. So... Uh, the thing is that John came back into our lives and he, um, yeah, so one of Moz's younger half-brothers found us on Facebook and um, and said, did we want to meet up? And we did. And uh, Scott is now very much part of our life with our little niece, Nex- Lexi. Nexi. Lexi. Alexis. She's lovely. And so we have this extended family. But when, when we met up with John again through Scott, um, John was quite unwell, uh, and he had lung issues and we weren't expecting him to last very long. And then while we were, uh, you know, renewing our acquaintanceship there and all that kind of stuff, Nigel got seriously ill with heart failure. <laughs> and then, uh, Nigel is getting better. He's getting stronger by the day and praise God for that. That's fantastic. But John has passed away. So I think we've just confused everybody with this situation of two sick dads, but um, we had we had a, the service for John last week uh, up in Launceston. Um, turned out there were four siblings there, which is um, nice. We met an extra sibling, and um, I just want to say that I'm grateful for Scott getting in touch with us. I'm grateful that I got to meet 
John and I'm grateful that um, we've had some closure in our lives and I'm super duper grateful for Michelle from City Mission and how she took the service for John's life and everything. It was a big day on Thursday. It was a really big day. But we got through it. Oh, and I'm so grateful for Annette, my mother-in-law, who has walked in forgiveness, walked in love, uh, and really displayed the character of God to John and Scott and Lexi and um, everyone, David, um, everyone from um, the family that we've met since we got back in touch with Scott. She's just such an example of who God is to me in her acceptance and forgiveness and in her prayer um, for Scott and John and Lexi and their salvation. And um, I guess we're adding David to the list now that we know who he is. So um, that's been a really interesting time. And um, I was pretty much worn out from that last week. And there was absolutely no way that I was recording a podcast. Is that just one long excuse? I don't know. All I can say is, Um, from a family point of view, I think I've said everything I need to say. And from an organizational point of view, I'm so um, happy with past Ruth who decided to put a two-week deadline around the podcast so that she would only have to record every two weeks so that when things like writing off the whole of last week happens, I can actually still get here and record the podcast for you. So that's a very, very personal um, introduction and I hope you don't mind that. Um, uh, yeah, I haven't had a lot of work things or writing things or whatever since I last talked to Scotty because I did all of that and then uh, just had a week of recovery. <laughs> and I'm hoping to get back into things until Jess comes on Thursday and we have more family time and that's how life is, isn't it? It's just like just continuous. There's always something that gets in the way. And so um, I guess the other thing I want to say is, yeah, I'm going to be talking in today's podcast about three basic rules that um, help you to make it in whatever career you want to make it in. But I don't want you to hear any condemnation from me if you're not managing to hit one of these rules every single time, because that's how my life is too. I mean, just life doesn't always go according to plan. You can't always meet your obligations and you can't always manage to hit the nail on the head. What I'm saying is let's try for it. Let's let's try and put things in place so that we can hit these three rules as much as possible and not beat ourselves up if you get sick or if um, you have a funeral you need to attend or if (laughs) your family decides to implode on you or whatever happens. I think, I think, um, you know me, like I'm not here to put uh, condemnation on you and to say, if you're not making it in these three areas, then you're never going to make it. That's not what I'm trying to say. I, we need to love ourselves. We need to look after ourselves. And But I think one of the ways that we do look after ourselves is to give ourselves space and help ourselves to to know what we're trying to hit and to know our own energy levels and to know our own abilities and to be able to set goals that are possible to reach so that we get that feeling of satisfaction of reaching it. So with all that introduction, what I'm going to share with you today and what I shared with Scotty are three rules that come from the visit from my sister. So my sister's name is Catherine Joy. She runs an organization called Joy Music House that uh, runs in Hollywood. And Joy Music House is a music production 
business. So she works in the whole movie, television, um, video game industry, and she works on the music side of things. And sometimes she composes music for different things. So when she was here, we watched a documentary that she had done the music for. It's called Home is a Hotel. And I hope that sometime it'll come out on Australian TV or you'll be able to find it somewhere. But uh, because it was a very good documentary and beautiful music because Catherine's brilliant at composing music. So she does the music composition, But one of the other thing, well, the other thing that she does is that she supports other composers in um, orchestrating their music so that they compose the music. And then she says, well, if we put an orchestra here to play this, then we want the horns to play this and the violins to play that and the woodwind to play that and whatever. So orchestration or um, actually just writing the music out, you know, getting it from the composer's mind onto paper that musicians can read and the recording of it so actually going into the studio and working with musicians to get the recordings done that go um, behind the visual that you see and if you're not in this world you might even not really understand why we (laughs) why we need music for um, tv shows and for movies but um I tell you, it makes a massive difference to the movie and often I'm I'm so like the music for me if I start getting scared or anxious about what's going to happen in, in a movie, I often mute it so that I can't hear the music because the music is three quarters of the experience. And maybe you can try that and see see what it does for you. So Catherine uh, started doing this music composition stuff when she was living in Seattle and then she moved to LA and she now lives in Hollywood. And she started this business and she got it all going. And uh, when she was here in Tasmania, she had a question and answer time with Tasmanian composers and film industry people because there is actually a nice Tasmanian industry in this area. And one of the questions in this question and answer time, somebody asked her, well, what do you do? How do you make it? What steps did you take so that you could be successful in this Hollywood situation? And her answer was these three rules that um, I tell Scotty. So I'm going to let you hear it from me and Scotty. And then when you've heard that, I'll come back and unpack it some more. Well, as promised, Ruth Amos is with us again this morning. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Scotty. Now, before we talk about life hacks... What's been going on? How are you going with book writing and podcasts and all that sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's been really exciting, actually. Like the book, the book thing's going along well. Like my, I did a course based on my book that I've been writing, and that was fantastic. I so, saw your throne there. That yeah, was, that, well, was, that nice. was really fun too. Yeah, yeah, so I was invited to come and talk in a school. If you want me to come and talk in your school, very happy to do that. Yeah, so they gave me this amazing red throne studded with <laughs> diamonds. Did well, you have to wear like a, a purple robe and a crown? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, no. But that was just so cool. So that was. Um, grade four, five, and six kids, and they were full of questions, and and yeah, so that that's exciting. Um, I have been shortlisted for a competition at the Pilgrim Artist Festival this wow. weekend down in Huonville. Come down to Huonville this weekend. That's so cool! Congratulations! <laughs> thank you. I love I love it that you're getting recognised. You know, for, for your amazing giftings. That's so oh, good. Thank you, Scotty. Nice. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. So, if someone wants to. Uh, <laughs> 
ruthamos.com.au. That's right. Is that the best place to go? That's probably the best place to go, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Right. You'll find me on Facebook. I'm, I'm there on Facebook and you see all my news there, but yeah. Just you. type in Ruth Amos author or something yeah. and, and they'll probably get they'll, you as well. They'll find me there, yeah. All right, yeah. fantastic. So what are we talking about today? <laughs> well, my cough. Today we're talking about how to make it in Hollywood. Oh, nice. Well, I've <laughs> always dreamt of that. So, <laughs> I mean, you might wonder what I know about Hollywood, but my sister actually lives in in Hollywood and works in the film industry. But she was down last week as well. That was another amazing, good, fun thing. And um, she gave a little talk to Tasmanian filmmakers and composers and she said, somebody asked her, like, well, how, if I wanted to make it, how would I go about making it? And she said three things, which I think are applicable to everybody. And the three things are turn up on time, deliver what you promise, and be easy to work with. Well, four things. Sell your soul. <laughs> well, she hasn't really. No, she hasn't. I know a lot that in uh, in Hollywood have. Yeah, yeah, so, but so. yeah, I think if you want to make it anywhere, if you if you know do these basics, if you turn up on time, yeah. you know, turn up when you say you will. Yep, Don't good. fill your calendar with so much that you're squeezing in and running late and yeah. doing whatever. And I know it can't always happen. I know you were talking about someone with a newborn, and things do get in the way. But as much as you possibly can, as much as it depends on, and you. at least if you're going to be late. You know, jump on the phone. I'm so sorry. You know, this has happened. I'm on my way. You know, like, yeah. uh, you know, like you're important. You know, like so at least that. But but as you say, turn up on time is just so crucial. Yeah, and then deliver what you promise. Like you say, you're going to do something, do it. And if that, so what I try try to do is put margins around what I say I'm going to deliver. So I say I will finish this paper in a week's time because I know it will take me three days. That gives me just a little bit of breathing space so I can deliver what I actually yeah, said yeah. I was going to deliver. So. And, and I had a boss years ago and he said, always under-promise and over-deliver. Absolutely. He said, because, you know, if you under-promise, he said, then you know you can definitely deliver what you need to. He said, but then they'll go, wow, that was amazing because you've over-delivered, you know. Yeah. And that, yeah. yeah. And it's, it works because people, people yeah. love it, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas if you think about it the other way around, if you say, I'm going to move mountains for you and then you can't move a pebble, it's um, it doesn't feel good for anybody. Everybody's let down. And it could be the same result if you promise over promise and then you deliver that. But it might actually, if you under promise and deliver the same thing, one person's really happy with it. The other person's really unhappy absolutely. with it. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a trick. It's not a mind trick, but it definitely gives everybody a bit more space and less stress. Yeah. I mean, it gives you less stress as well. Yeah, so yeah it's good. good. And the final one being easy to work with because, as you say, <laughs> Hollywood's full of drama. I mean, people are dramatic and whatever. And Catherine, my sister, isn't. She just comes in. She stays calm. She stays happy. If things go wrong, she's, she pulls people out of the room and talks to them and then comes back in. And I know that things always happen in your workplace and you always want to let off steam somehow, but make sure you let off steam with someone you really trust or maybe yeah, even yeah. just write it in your journal. Don't, you know, don't create drama. Be the person that tamps the drama down and be easy to work with. Be a smiling face, be a happy person that people want to see and want to have back in their workplace. And if you follow those three rules, you're, you're 90% you're of the way You're going to go there. well, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. And the selling the soul is optional. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 we we prefer you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Thank you, Ruth. No worries. Ruthamos.com.au. See you in a couple of weeks. See you in a couple of weeks. So, that's my wonderful sister, Catherine Joy's advice. Three things. Turn up on time, deliver what you promise, and be easy to work with. I'm going to go through and tell you probably some failures in my life. (laughs) 
and maybe some successes under these three headings. Just to, you know, make it clear. When when I was a teenager, so let's start, let's start with turn up on time. When I when I was a teenager, I think I just finished high school. Um, and I was working at a supermarket in Clonorchy. Um, this is my memory. I haven't gone back through my old journals to figure this out. I'm trying to figure out, uh, I know what I did wrong. I'm trying to figure out why I did wrong. Anyway, so I think what happened is I was working somewhere in one suburb and I interviewed for a job and received a job uh, as a casual after-school carer. So back then, the point was that I would get to this uh, school in West Hobart at uh, three o'clock and work till six o'clock. So it was like a, um, I think a 10 to two shift at the supermarket and then a three to six shift as a care. And I thought I'd be able to do that. No problem. Um, It gave me a whole hour to get from one job to the other job. And all I had to do was catch a bus from Glenorchy into town and then another bus from town into West Hobart. And both of those trips were about 10 to 15 minutes. It just shouldn't have been a problem. However, um, the buses were unreliable. My first bus was very, very late. And that caused me to miss my second bus. And I turned up to this job in West Hobart about half an hour late. I felt awful. I was embarrassed and whatever. But I, you know, I thought, well, it wasn't my fault. The buses were late. (laughs) (laughs) And what I told my boss was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so late, I missed two buses, which is an awful thing because as soon as I said it, I thought that sounds like I missed, like I was so late for the bus that I didn't just see one bus disappearing as I turned up at the bus stop, but I saw the second bus disappearing as I turned up to the bus stop, which wasn't the case. But, um, you know, here I am explaining it to you. Uh, it's a long time since I was, whatever, 18 years old when I got this job and I'm still so ashamed. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have mobile phones back then. I couldn't ring them and say I was late. I just turned up late. I didn't get invited back for another shift. And you can understand why. I mean, people need um, their employees to be reliable. So there are, there are often good reasons why you can be late. There are often, you know, there are often reasons why, not just excuses, but reasons. But the problem is when you are late, you have put that person out and they can't do anything about you being late. (laughs) And it doesn't, it doesn't show respect for them. And when you want to be somebody that people want to invite back to do another job another time what you need to do is show them respect and show them that you are reliable and so you also want to show them that you can manage your time well so um i think that if you if you if you want to do this if you want to turn up on time follow first rule get there on time then you need to figure out what it takes to get you there on time. If I wanted to keep that job as an after-school carer, I should have caught a taxi. I should have, at that point, when I missed the first bus and knew that it was all up the putt, I should have gone, well, I'm going to invest in catching a taxi and get there on time. So that's harm uh, minimization strategy that I could have used. But I think, uh, you know, to meet this fundamental requirement of turning up on time, you need to think, what does, what do I need to do 
um, for me, like how hard is this for me and what do I need to put in place for me to be able to turn up on time? Do I need to set three alarms, you know, one an hour before, one half an hour before, one 15 minutes before? Do I need to uh, invest in an Uber or a taxi? Do I need to make sure that uh, my schedule is clear before the meeting so that I just don't have a lot of back-to-back things. I think one of the things that can happen is that you end up saying, oh, well, I've got many, many meetings to go. Um, and and so you, you schedule things in too tightly together and then they bump up against one another. And so making sure that you leave space to turn up um, on time for each meeting is a really good thing to do. All right, I'm feeling really bad here because, um, so you know I have coffees with people. I have coffees with people all the time and I am not stressed if somebody turns up five or ten minutes late to a coffee, although I will usually send them a message saying I'm here because I would hate to be waiting for them in the wrong place because I've done that too when I was a teenager and we didn't have mobile phones. I waited for Moz for an hour and a half or two hours and we were we were about 100 metres separated from each other. Um, because he was at one meeting point where there was a fountain and I was at another meeting point where there was a fountain and we didn't realize that there was another fountain that the other person was thinking of. And, you know, you can have that sort of thing. So mobile phones are fantastic for this, (laughs) just in case you are on time and waiting in the wrong place. But if you have coffee with me and you turn up five or ten minutes late, I'm going to understand. Like, I'm I'm not sitting here again in judgment. What I am saying is if you want to be a freelancer or you want to get a job or you want to work in a particular area, one of the really good things to do in terms of being somebody that people will want to invite back to work with them is to turn up on time. It shows respect and it shows that um, you are a reliable person. And so I encourage you to put strategies in place to leave space in your schedule, to not have things squashed in so tough that you're, you're, everything's bumping up against each other um, and uh, and get there on time. That's what I'm saying. Most of the time, turn up when you say you will. All right, step two, deliver what you promise. As Scotty said, it always works better to under-promise and over-deliver. Now, you know that um, as well as working as an author, I work as an editor. And uh, and one of the things about this is being really clear. So just very recently, very recently, I got a 20,000-word document for editing. And, uh, and I already had quite a large document from this guy that he'd said, this is really important, you need to work on this quite um, quickly and um, get it get it done soon. And then, so I did that. I did get things done in the time that, that my client asked. And then he gave me another document. And although the word soon was in the email, there was no other deadline mentioned. And I just thought, oh, well, the other one was urgent, but this one obviously is not urgent. And that was an assumption on my part. That was a bit of a stupid one. (laughs) Uh, And so the next thing um, I heard from this client was, Uh, on the Sunday night, he said to me, I wonder if you could move this up your schedule a bit because it was originally due on Friday and I'd like it as soon as possible. Well, I tell you what, (laughs) I worked 
all day Monday. I think I did nine straight hours of editing on Monday and then I did a check over it on Tuesday morning and got it to him as soon as possible Tuesday morning. I worked so hard to deliver. But the problem was I hadn't been clear about when this thing was due. Now, whenever he gives me a paper, I'm going to very clearly ask, when would you like this done by? So firstly, be really clear about what, what you what you're saying you can do. And secondly, allow extra time to do it um, so you don't get caught out by an emergency. Get it done when you say you're going to get it done. If you can't do what you promise you're going to do, then that's, you know, because that happens. I mean, as I'm saying in this whole thing, life happens. You can't always do what you say you're going to do. But at that point, you let the client know as soon as possible. You find a solution for them so they don't have to come up with one themselves. So if if I really couldn't have got it done, then it's time for me to ring around all my editor friends and say, which one of you can take on this document and how soon can you get it done and fix the fix the problem for um, for the client. So, yeah, if you're trying to make it in Hollywood or anywhere – the second bit of advice that my sister has and that I agree with is deliver what you promise. Promise less, deliver more. Under promise, over deliver, give yourself a bit of space and then be really, really clear about what you say you're going to deliver so that you they know. They know when to expect the work from you. They know what can be done. And finally, the last bit of advice from my sister that I really agree with is be easy to work with. Some of us really like drama and some of us can really build the drama up whenever we, whenever we can, we think, oh, well, you know, let's make it, let's make this more dramatic. There's a problem. I'm going to make it feel very big. Um, But if um, one of the reasons that my sister has been so successful in Hollywood is that she hasn't done that. So whenever there's a big drama, she does her best to make it feel small and she does her very best not to create drama in the first place. Um, She has been brought in uh, to work situations where everything's gone wrong, every deadline's been missed, they don't have musicians to do the recordings, they don't know what's going on, and she's gone in and sorted it out, calmed it down, kept everybody talking and solved the problem. And I think that, you know, if you can do that, if you can make yourself easy to work with, if you can make yourself somebody that is friendly, that is um, professional and that people enjoy working with, then they'll come back to you time and time again. But if you're a drama queen, they're going to look for another solution next time. And I'm not saying minimize massive issues in the workplace because there are issues that need to be dealt with but there are ways of dealing with things as well Um, and you know uh, do things in a way that is not creating extra drama around whatever the problem is you're not always going to enjoy working with everyone you work with there will be times when you just want to sit down and say wow that person was horrendous and I I like a good complain story as much as the next person but you need to make sure that you complain to somebody that you 100% trust that they're not going to spread your story around everyone the words just shouldn't get back to the client and really honestly honestly the rule that I try to stick to is that I never say anything out loud to anyone that I wouldn't say to somebody's face Um, because you just don't know 
you don't know. I've been caught with that too. Um, I I remember I was working on uh, a high school musical, not not high school musical, but a musical in a high school. I was working with the kids. I was helping teach. I was doing some choreography. And I said to somebody who I thought was completely removed from the situation, I think I said something like, this is a very long musical. I don't know. I may have said this is not the kind of music I enjoy. Uh, Anyway, what happened was that the composer, the creator of the musical, uh, heard some words from me reported to them through, you know, it had gone through a couple of people, so it had gotten garbled. And what she heard was that I was telling everybody that this musical was boring and that nobody should come and watch it. And I had I had not said that, but what I had said had been a bit disparaging and it was not something I would have said to her face and I should have kept my mouth shut. I just should have kept my mouth shut. I apologised to her profusely, but damage was done to our relationship and it wasn't great. And so, yeah, again, I feel like uh, you you may have a person that you 100% trust that you can let off steam to and that's great. You might want to pay a therapist so that you know that things are kept under client confidentiality. But basically don't say anything out loud that you wouldn't want to say to the person to their face. And then, you know, if you're really struggling, Maybe you find ways to say to the person to their face using those I feel statements when you do such and such or when such and such happens, I feel such and such, so that you can sort out your problems with them. Um, Another thing that Catherine's talked about is that if somebody's made a big mistake, instead of yelling at them in front of everybody, she takes them out of the room, talks to them outside the room, sorts it out with them and then comes back in and then solves the problem. I mean, our workplaces are just not always going to be sweetness and light. But if we can find a way to keep the drama down and be easy to work with, be people that are friendly, are kind, are not making problems but and not snapping at people and not whatever, but just um, someone that's a calm and sensible voice in whatever situation's going on, then people will come back. People will work with you again. So, yeah, these three rules. Now, I'm sure that when you listen to these three rules, you can tell me umpty dozen <laughs> situations where these three rules don't apply. Um, I hate, um, yeah, I hate doing these things that are just so dogmatic. There are obviously situations where these rules don't apply. Um, I've even thought of them as I've been talking and it's probably made me say um a lot more than I would normally do. But I think as basic ideas to try to live by generally most of the time, whatever, I think these three rules are really great. If you're wanting to make it in Hollywood or if you're wanting to make it anywhere else, these are three basics that you can aim for. Turn up on time, deliver what you promise and be easy to work with. Add to that your unique flair, your creativity, your you-ness, your your abilities, your strengths, and you're going to just be fantastic no matter where you're trying to work. I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope it's not uh, adding condemnation to your life. I do not want to do that ever. 
as I said, I know there are reasons for exceptions to these rules, but I hope it is helpful to you to do them. And uh, if you would like to write to me about it, feel free, ruth at ruthamos.com.au or find me on Facebook at Ruth Amos Author or at A Quiet Life Blog on Twitter. And I will chat to you again next time.